0: You're going to narrow me down to one? Just one. Okay. Well, I think if I only get one, I have to go back to what I referenced with the cows. Okay.
1: Welcome to Classical Etc., a show that dives into the philosophy, culture, and heart of classical education. You're in the studio with Shane Saxon. On today's episode, I sat down with Paul Schaefer and we talked about leadership. What does it mean to lead? And what does leadership have to do with classical education? All this and more in our conversation. If you like this episode, then consider subscribing to our podcast and leaving a positive review. Paul, thanks Thanks for being here for a second time. Oh, happy to be here. I've been wanting to talk with you, and I was joking with you about this a little bit, but it's not really a joke, that I wanted you to come to this podcast where we are going to converse about leadership, the idea of leadership. Something I kind of wanted to talk with you about, just get your thoughts on. But I told you beforehand, I wanted you to bring that multi-marketing business guru level energy. Yes. One of those guys with like a Britney Spears mic who stands on the stage right. and, 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 and yells like, at people. I'm and... going to make you successful. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, that's leadership, right?
0: Yeah, no, I, that is not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that is absolutely not the... I don't think that's real leadership. That's hype. Okay. That's hype. Now, granted, you can't... Uh, leaders that are stoic are hard to get behind. Sure. Oftentimes. Right. Um, So you got to have energy is what you're saying. You do have to have energy. You have to seem excited about what you're, you know, doing. Right. I, I don't know that that's true in like a corporate setting. Once you have, you know, thousands of underlings, (laughs) but if you're trying to start something, you absolutely have to have energy. Sure. Sure. And I think that's, uh, I think you see that in startup classical schools, Mm. right? The ones that, the ones that really take off you have, and you have some sort of energetic leader Yeah. now, whether they uh, their energy may, may appear in the, in the fact that they work at starting the school 18 hours a day, or it may appear in, you know, their joviality when they're trying to get up there and, and give talks to inspire people. But, there's there's something that's that's driving them. Mm, yeah. Right. I mean you're 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 your marketing gurus with their Britney Spears mics. I mean those people are being driven by oftentimes just money. Yeah. Right. And their livelihood depends on you buying into this pyramid scheme. Sure. You know? Um and but the the leader of a school is motivated by something wholly differently, yeah. right? I mean, they're, the, they're motivated by we want your child to be the best human person they can be, yeah, right. And so you don't. I mean, you you don't need the Britney Spears mic. You do have to have a booming voice, oftentimes, <laughs> to get the kids quiet down.
1: Yeah. So we can agree that the caricature that you often think of when we talk about leadership as a concept, when we talk about a conversation about leadership, the caricature, the kind of conversation that we're going to have is going to be markedly different because of the things that we're about. And so I, that's kind of what I want to get to. Yeah. But actually,
0: but think about this, this just occurred to me. Think about this. So the person, the, 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 the Britney Spears, Mike marketing guru, I love, I love how we've come up with this title. Um, but everyone knows exactly what we mean. So. I think so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, they could put a, a, an image of, of a person with one of these microphones on the podcast, if they need to right on the video version. Um, but that guy or gal, when the people that he's motivating, when the, when things get tough, nobody's going to listen to the guy, right? You follow me on this one? Mm-hmm. So if you have, um, if, if he's telling you, I don't know, my mind's going to real estate. Right. And you got a guy like, okay, go put, you know, 10 grand down on this house and then do this that and the other, you know, and you're like, Oh great. This is great advice. I'm going to go do this. Right. And you go put your life savings down on this house and you're trying to flip it and it won't sell and you're going to end up underwater. You're not going to go back to that guy.
1: Mm, right.
0: And ask him for advice. Right. Right. Um, just because he doesn't have that presence. Where you're like, he's been through it thick and thin. He mm-hmm. seems like a huckster. Right. You know? Right. So we want to be the kind of leaders that when things aren't going well, people are like, I want to go hear what this guy has to say.
1: Yeah. And, you know, honestly, that's why I want to have this conversation with you is because in our working together, I I knew you had thoughts <laughs> because I've I've seen you lead and I've followed you in various ways. And so that's where I kind of want to start is let's go back. You have thoughts. Where did they develop? How did you cultivate the ideas that you have about leadership now? Where did they come from? How did class, your own education play a role in that?
0: I, one of the things was that that's pivotal just from a personal perspective is my father, you know, he wanted to be an accountant who just crunched numbers and he got into a position where he was leading his firm and he went and he started doing research on leadership, Mm. right? So leadership books were kind of common in the household, at least like when I would look at his shelf of what you would see and that kind of always in a sense colored the way I saw leadership was that you can learn to be a leader um and that there are specific principles that you'd want to in it, you know engage with but um sort of thinking you know academically or like where this came from from an educational perspective uh one of the things that I walked out with from my um kindergarten, 12 education, early college education was that liberal arts, which was a broader term um, than the way we normally specifically mean it in our circles now. But, uh, and, and I mean, the humanities was about learning who man is, mm. right? So if you're sitting there reading books like Anna Karenina or the Count of Monte Cristo or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or, you know, whatever, right? you're learning about the different aspects of who man is mm. Uh history was intentionally taught to, to uh, focus on the causes and consequences of men's actions. Mm. And so when you start to understand how people work, yeah. then it becomes a lot easier to lead. Yeah. I so think.
1: taking the broader view.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's people, I, the, the book, how to win friends and influence people. I remember reading that. And I, I just thought it was despicable because basically how to use people. Right. And, in, and, and, but I think from a, from a, from a liberal arts perspective, what you what try to lead people with is not, I need you to do this. So I get this out of you, mm. but it's, I want to bring you to a place of human flourishing. Mm. Right. And so I, I really do want the best thing for you. Right. Right. And, um, that means you have to have, sometimes you have to have really hard conversations Mm. and sometimes you have to, you know, help people see, you know what, you would be better in this role than this other role. And a lot of times those people, they see it immediately. Mm. Like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That would fit me a lot better. right? Right. Because whatever role that they're in, they're struggling and they're like that, actually seems like something i could do better in right and and nobody likes to struggle every day hmm. you know and, and and whatever their role be um but but it was really i think just that whole uh, understanding and it, i mean you you have to if you read a bunch of literature and you read a bunch of history you realize that there are different people that are better at different things i think in our democratic society we think everybody should be good at everything sure which is absolutely and patently false right and when you start to realize oh some people are better at other things than other people are you start to go well why don't we play to those strengths mm. and then then telling somebody well i need you to do this instead of that it's not a it's not a critique of you're bad at that mm. but you will flourish over here right right and and so as i you know as i look back and see okay, what where did certain ideas of leadership come from i think a lot of them um came from again this this understanding of who man is in the, in the intentional way that i uh thought about or read books literature history but then there's also what do you what do you see around you mm. right who do you you know who are you growing up around or you know or spending formative years with and um i mean that was one thing that i'll always remember about Cheryl Lowe was she was uh, once characterized by somebody as a benevolent dictator. Mm. And what he meant by that was that she was extremely loving and extremely kind. But what she said went right. right. But I think actually one of the keys to her being able to be that way was the fact that she was always willing to listen. Mm. And so you, 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 um, um, you you surround yourself with people like that, you know, or you happen to be surrounded by them or, you know, I mean, as she was my teacher when I was like in fourth grade. Right. So, you know, it wasn't my choice to be around her, right? but you get surrounded by people like that and you realize, oh, I like the way that person led. Mm-hmm. And so there's sort of a whole concoction. Yeah, I like
1: how you said, especially that you are bringing people along to human flourishing because it reminds us of what Jesus taught us that. You know, leadership is service is a thing that we that we summarize his teaching about leadership with and really what that's just summarizing in short is what you're saying that he brought this incredible concept to the light that is leadership is not for me it's for them mm. <laughs> and if you just frame it that way it does kind of change your perspective
0: yeah and that's not a the a natural perspective right, right? i mean you think about um uh, most monarchs in history, mm. right? It was about them, Yeah. right? And 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 the the people they led oftentimes paid the price for it, mm. unless you were in that inner circle of people that that person liked, right? Um And but that's where uh, you're absolutely right. What, I mean, Christ brings us this model of servant leadership, and the monarchs. I mean, to go that route, since I brought them up, that really did do well oftentimes we're taking that example and saying, okay, let me try to live according to that.
1: Yeah. Right. And to even be able to kind of look at the monarchs or Christ or all these things, that's that reading, that, that diverse background, the observation of key people in history, tying that all together, relating it to leadership. That's kind of what formed you. It sounds like what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, um, there's, there's a, there's a weird sort of dynamic of, the the people that strive to get to positions of leadership, I think, oftentimes end up being the worst leaders. Mm, right. And you know, I mean, that's I think that's effectively the same thing Christ is teaching us, right? Yeah. Uh, he was called, right? I mean, second person, blessed, trinity, incarnated in into human flesh, right? But right. but you know, he, he's very clear. His father is asking him to do these things. Mm. He's not the one saying, I'm the savior of the world. Right. Right. But no, my father's asking obedience of mm-hmm. me to do these certain things. And so uh, that's not to say that nobody sh- should ever say, I want to start a classical school. Right. And, you know, this is my endeavor. No, absolutely. But if it's about your agrid how do I say this word? Agravation. Agri- 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 <laughs> yes. Thank you. Um, um, then it's not going to go well right? You might get something off the ground, right? But it's going to be built around you and it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be something that when, when you want to step out, um, that's
1: going to continue. Yeah, that's good. So that formed you. I I've known you as a formed person, you know, I I know you're being formed still, but as a formed person leading, you know, here, when I got here, you were the leader of the schools division. I know that you have a farm that you express leadership in, you have a family. Um, and I'm sure there are other ways that you've expressed leadership. How have you seen leadership be a part of your life? What are the challenges that you've faced? And what are the things that, you know, if you were to call successes or or that you think maybe are successes, how would you identify those?
0: Well, I I think there's a, there there are moments, I guess I'd look back on my life and go, I really wanted to be a leader at that time and I was not ready for it. Okay. And looking back and realizing there were times I was content to be in the role I was in and really trying to make that role everything I could make it mm. is really what set me up, I think, to to be more of a leader that people trusted later on because you've been through it, right? Mm-hmm. You don't trust the guy who says, you know, I can, you know, teach you. How to be a, a, a part? Well, Demosthenes, right? Everybody thinks Demosthenes is a great rhetorician or was a great rhetorician because he started off stuttering, mm. right? And when you've gone through those, tr- when you've gone through the lower levels, right? Like if you just start on the top or you you jump to the top, then people don't don't don't. don't there's there's less respect. There's less, you know. Okay, you you know what you're doing, or you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess one of the life lessons I look back at, which I wish I could help everybody understand, is be content in the role you find Mm -hmm. yourself in and make that place where you're at the best it can be, Mm. right? Don't always be looking at what's the next thing I can do, what's the next thing I can do. But today, what's the best I can do where I'm at? Right. Um, But also just realizing that, yeah, I mean, humility, I i I mean to go back to that right I mean that servant leadership that Christ teaches us you know i was i there was I was taught as a kid that there were three root sins that could kind of be the root of your of your issues okay. right and so you can kind of look at all the different sins that you may have and you could probably pinpoint one of these three which was your problem right and they were pride selfishness and sensuality. Mm and i remember i had a priest as a spiritual director and i remember you know i'd go talk to him every single week and he would and and i was convinced my issue was selfishness i was dead on convinced and every week he he you know and i i talked to him more often than once a week but you know almost every time i saw him he's like paul you're proud paul you're proud i was like no nah, i'm selfish he's like, paul you're proud no nah, i'm selfish and after about like 8 months of this finally one day i walk in and i go Father, I think I'm proud. He goes, whoa, amazing. <laughs> Where'd you find that out? You know? And and so um, so then sort of that, because pride is what, what blinds us, mm-hmm. right? And so then when once I realize that, and through the Lord's grace, trying to work on that and trying to figure out, okay, now how do I, you know, live according to what God is asking me to do, you start to realize, oh there are a lot of other people better talented than I am Mm. who know a lot more. And so I should be willing to ask their help or to be willing to ask their opinion and not force my way. Mm. Um, I mean, you brought up my farm. Um, and we, we talked the other day how I was just shocked about how the bull and the herd, you know, works, manages his, his herd which I think has fascinating um, implications. Sure. But like my role to that herd. Yeah. When I walk up, I am always in a state of, mm, (laughs) I mean, humble submission, I suppose. (laughs) I mean, these things could kill me in an instant. Mm. And I joke with my wife that the way I want to go when I'm 80 years old is I want to be run over by a bull, you know, because it'd be quick, I think. And, you know if I'm 80 years old I'm ready to go sure uh doing what I love right uh
1: <laughs> being gored by a bull
0: yeah but my bull has no horns thank okay. god but he, he he could still trample me and so like I go up mm. and they come up to me they want their head scratches and they you know they 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 want they want the care but I'm realizing yes I'm their leader I'm their farmer right, right. but I have to I have to recognize that I cannot control that. Mm. And, and I apply the same lesson with people. I, pe- people hate my analogies with animals. Cause we're like, you're just treating people like animals. You no, don't want to die by being gored by a person,
1: but other than preferably that, the analogy not, preferably not, up. but
0: otherwise, um, no, I, because people, I can't force people to do what they don't want to do. Mm. Right. And I think that's where truth, beauty, and goodness come in, mm-hmm. right? Like, if I want to help people realize that their child will be best served by classical education, I can't like go up and strong arm, arm them into enrolling their child into my school. But what I can do is is say, it doesn't. This, isn't this beautiful over here? Isn't this mm-hmm. amazing? This is this great? Don't you want that for your child, right? And then they make that free choice of this is what I want because I want my child to flourish, you know, as a human being. Um, And so sort of keeping that same awe that I have in front of a thousand pound animal, right. In, in, in face of every other human person. you know.
1: So let me ask you this. Uh, I've observed your character over the last few years and I think you have one particular strength. That I, that I think (laughs) you've done well with, and I want to tell it to you and get your reaction and see what you think of this observation. So I've observed you over the last few years, put people in positions where they succeed and do so many different things kind of in the margin and on the side that I think has put people in a place where then they can flourish. And it seems to me like you're doing that intentionally. Where even where some,
0: I'm doing things on the margins where
1: you're doing things to kind of just a little detail here mm-hmm. and there and you're putting a person in a place where then they don't have to deal with things that are not their skill set mm. or they are in a position where they can now pick up the mic because you have put them in that place. Do you think that's something you've done intentionally?
0: Yeah, it is. And, and part of it is my drive for efficiency. Sure. Um, You know, I mean, I don't really consider efficiency to be part of human flourishing, but, um, no, I mean, it is in the sense of, I mean, that goes back to playing to each other's strengths, Mm. right? If it takes me five seconds to do something that I consider menial, but it's going to save that person five minutes because they don't know how to do that Mm. thing or they haven't done it a thousand times like I have then let me just take the 5 seconds and do it. Sure. Right? Now people may say, well you're not teaching them how to fish, mm. right? You're giving them the fish so not instead of teaching them how to fish. Well, yeah, in some in some respect. In other respects, if it's something that they would only have to do once in their lives, there's no reason for me to teach them how to fish. Right. Right. Um you know, I mean if somebody lives and and Appalachian Kentucky and you go out to the ocean I'm not going to necessarily teach them how to deep water fish because they're never coming back right, right? Right, right um and so that is that is something um you know I I don't mind doing the small things for 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 multiple reasons one is because it may be more efficient for two I don't think people will like to follow a leader who won't do the small things. Mm. Right. If, if you know, and and if I don't listen to what they need. Yeah. Right. Um, quality of life is a huge thing. Human flourishing, right. Mm -hmm. If, if you're, if you're not able to, um, you know, if, if every day you come into work and you, um, I don't know, hate the color of the walls in your classroom, Right. Um, with a passion. I mean, we joke about my green office. Right. But which I'm happily moving out of. But I don't walk in hating it every and morning. And just
1: you're moving just downstairs. You're not. Leaving right. Right. I'm just
0: no down the hallway, not even down the stairs. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't walk in hating it every day. So it's not a quality of life issue to me. Mm. Right. But if I had like a, a bright orange room and it would, it would behoove me or somebody who cares about me to change the paint of that room, even if I have to be the one that comes in you know in paint clothes and paints it myself, right because I want you know that place to be something that's good for them, and so I think that's those sorts of things right. you're talking about right. that I you know I don't mind doing and and but it is it, the the balance becomes very hard, right I like doing those small things because it makes people's people happy right right. But then, you know, you have those higher level things that like only you can do as the head of a school or the head of a, a division that you're doing curriculum, you know, consulting for or whatever. And, and so you can't delegate some of those things and you've got to, that that time mm-hmm. balance can yeah. be hard.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's good. Let's change gears for a second and think about classical education a little more broadly. You've worked over the last few years in classical education specifically. Here And and then now in Memorial Press Online Academy, but more broadly, this is kind of a movement in this country that is spreading. And I wonder what you think the role of leadership is and should be going forward in classical education more broadly.
0: That's a, that's
1: a phenomenal question. I mean, I don't,
0: uh, I don't know that I have, I don't, I, I don't pretend to have all of the answers. Let's be clear there. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think as, as a good scholastic, I need to make a distinction, okay. right? You have different kinds of leaders, mm-hmm. right? You've got people that tend to be like business leaders that can make something financially stable. You have, you know, visionary leaders mm. that, you know, uh, can't make a deposit in the bank counter for life, depended on it, but you know, they can, they can communicate a vision. You have, um, I mean, I haven't thought that one out deeply, all the divisions I'd want to make, but you have different kinds of leaders mm. And so um, I, I think sort of broadly as a movement, I mean, there, there used to be a part of me that wishes we were all completely of one mind, you know, down to the very details and, you know, there was one clear direction on that. And then I started to realize that that's never been the way it is. And, you know, even if we go and try to look back at the heyday of the liberal arts or, you know, uh, classical education, however you want to put it, it's always been people emphasizing different things, Mm. right? And so in the classical movement, we share in common certain principles, Mm. but there are idealists out there that say we should do it this way. And there's no way that that's ever going to happen. (laughs) <laughs> right even if we lived a thousand years ago it didn't happen True. right those are great ideals and they push us to those ideals right. there's other people that say this is what we can do uh, this is i mean i i don't know if i mentioned this on the last podcast probably not because i was talking about hunting so much uh but uh one day i was reading the jesuits ratio studiorum uh from the 1590s mm-hmm. and so uh in, in the catholic tradition The Jesuits were like the educators par excellence. And so I was like, I wonder what they did back in the Renaissance. And I went back and I read that. And they spent three years or so in grammar school. And basically what they did for six hours a day was learn Latin. Mm -hmm. And then they get to about middle school and everything shifts to being done in Latin. So science and math and history, literature, everything was done in Latin. And I turned around at that point, my desk was right by Mrs. Lowe's desk and I turned around and I said, Mrs. Lowe, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's just scrap lower school science, lower school history, lower school geography. Let's just scrap it all and just do Latin all day long in school. Right. And then in seventh grade, we just start doing everything in Latin. Right. And she, she kind of looks at me and she says. You convince the parents, we'll do it. <laughs> and and I thought, I mean, it was just it encapsulated all of this of like, okay, as a renaissance ideal, I get where you're coming from. But practically speaking, in something that can be successfully done here to bring today's students to human flourishing, that's not the way to go. Hmm. And so I think you, you've got all of these different kinds of leaders within the movement, right? And you have to have your business leaders, right? Mm. If you keep, you right. don't have a right. financially sound institution, nobody has a paycheck and nobody can dedicate time to to building the movement, right? right? And so um, I, think, I think there's a great value there and having this iron sharpening iron. Yeah. You know, we're all stones on the seashore getting, you know, rubbed up against one another but we're on the same seashore. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's important. And I think it's important that we look and see, okay, what is this other person doing? You know, do I think that's in accord with the principles of what we're trying to do? Is it contrary? Is it, you know, maybe in accord, but it's not the best in my situation. And, and, you know, I think for us to say, I think it's very arrogant to say we have the one Mm. best method. That's the, you know, the perfect thing for every certain s- s- situation. I'm a Southerner at heart, right? Right. States rights. There's, 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 a, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I, it was, I grew up in the South. I mean, let's suppose I could grow out of that. Um, but local autonomy is, is a good thing in, in some respects. Sure. Right. And so, uh, what classical education looks like, well, this is, this is a big deal to me classical education looks like in the United States is, should be different than the way classical education looks like in Peru Hmm. or in Chile or Argentina or Mexico. Why? Because as much as we share our Western tradition, they don't need to read make way for ducklings in first grade in Peru. Right. Right. They need to read, I don't know, whatever children's great children's books they have. In Spanish, um, and so realizing that this this movement has to take on different manifestations in its local cultures, I think is 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 a helpful thing as well. Yeah,
1: it sounds like you're saying that ultimately, what what the movement needs is for the people who are leading right now to continue leading, and for those of us who are a part of it, who are trying to carry along the, this tradition, to live in the tension, to allow these voices to speak and to weigh them, but. But not to, you know, let that balance create a a robust movement that that is able to provide a viable education to many children for years and years to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more we listen to all of the voices, the more we can clarify our ideas. Mm, Yep. Right. If we're, if we um, only listen to one voice, then we end up in an echo chamber. And so... Uh, I think it's, you know, it is. And that was one thing that, that I started in the schools division was, um, a, a book discussion where we would read different books that I don't think we've read one single Memorial press published book in that right. book discussion. Right. They've all been from other sources to say, okay, now let's discuss this and let's see, is there anything that we need to take from this? Um, is this stuff we're already doing, you know, and, and learn from it that way.
1: Yeah. So, in conclusion, we, we agree that the multi-marketing Britney Spears Mike guy is not the picture of leadership that we want. But you know, ultimately, I think the point you made about about um, Christ being the model of leadership and, and and human flourishing being the goal of leadership kind of shows why two guys like us can talk about leadership. There's, you know, we're not particularly you know special leaders like anybody else. It's just that everyone is called to to bear the the cost of responsibility to increase mm-hmm. the flourishing of others. And for some that looks like it's called leadership by many. And and for some it's not, but for those who are in schools or perhaps trying to help, um, you know, lead in their home in education, what would you say is the one thing that they need, that they should think about to help them to be a better leader in an educational context and to help people, students to flourish by having a rigorous, solid educational plan for their life?
0: You're going to narrow me down to one, just one. Okay. Well, I think if I only get one, I have to go back to what I referenced with the cows. Okay. The, what I realized as I watched my herd the other day was there's, there's a give and take between the, the leading of the herd and the herd leading the leader. Mm. Uh, And so, because when I first got my herd, my watering system wasn't set up. And so I had these 200 gallon tanks that every day, you know, maybe twice a day or whatever, I'd have to go fill up with a hose Mm. and the bull Pablo, he likes running water. The other cows, eh, heifer number nine, she, she, she likes running water too. But I think it's more because they like to be around me, Mm. right? they are more people, cows than the others. But what will happen is I go out to fill up the water and uh, the herd comes over, right? Led by Pablo. Mm. Pablo is one like, ooh, fresh water coming. I'm going over there. And when he comes, they all come over. And there was one point where I had the tanks about, I don't know, 30 feet apart. And I filled one up. I went over to go fill up the others, the other one. And Pablo followed, and then the rest of the herd followed. And and again, I'm kind of intimidated by a thousand pound animals, and I'm like, just stay over at the other uh, tank. But no, they they come over. But then I'm still filling up the tank, plenty of fresh water. The herd turns around and leaves. Mm. Pablo's the last one at the fresh water, but he realizes everybody else has left and he turns around and he goes with the herd. Mm. And I I I just I, I looked at that and I was like, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. Because most of the time I see him being the one that's going somewhere and every and the rest of the herd follows him, right? That's a leader. Right. right? That's what we think of as a leader. Right. But he realized in that moment, uh, sorry, anthropomorphism onto my cow. Um, that he needed to be with his herd, Mm. right? He can't be a leader out by himself drinking his own water. He's got to be with the herd. Right. And so I think if if you're thinking about leading a school, you've got to be in the classes. You've got to be, you know, you have to show up at, you know, when, when your faculty is eating lunch in the faculty lounge, Mm. you know, you've got to be around, you know, if you're a homeschooler, right. You can't just tell your child, well, go read that. And they never see you reading Mm. or they never see you you know you never engage or ask them questions right and this i mean this goes to to dads of uh you know of homeschooling families right do you ever show that you're engaged with your children's education right right um you know because you're also a leader of the 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 schooling at home right and so showing that you're in that that you're part of it um then gives you to to be pragmatic and utilitarian capital when that the the that person does that, that your child doesn't want to learn what you want them to learn mm. right i mean pablo because he followed the herd he then he has capital when he wants to leave the herd and he wants them to follow him right? right and so by showing that oh no we're in this together then i think you have more um uh you have more capital than to say okay now we need to go this way mm. Yeah. And, and I think that's important because otherwise, if, if, if you're not with the people you have that you're leading, you have nobody to lead anywhere.
1: Yeah. It's it, well said. I've I've heard the analogy of, you know, the best pastors, you know, in the Bible, pastors are called shepherds sometimes and good shepherds smell like sheep. And that kind of <laughs> seems like the idea that you're, that you're getting at.
0: I love that. Well, and even you think about, I mean, the biblical analogy, right. Of, of, of a shepherd, um, they slept out with their sheep. Mm. They didn't get to go into a cushy home. Yeah. Right. They, they had to find a place in the, in the field to sleep as they went from field to field, Right. you know? Yep. Um, So uh, be, be with your people. Right. Yeah. And Augustine says that in his, his um, work on catechizing, on teaching catechumens the faith, he, he just talks about how it's just so vital when you're teaching and therefore leading that you have a relationship with the person that you're teaching mm. and, um, and because otherwise why would they learn from you?
1: Yeah. That's great. Well, Paul, it's always wisdom from the farm when you're on the podcast. <laughs> so I appreciate you coming on again. It's, it's been great to be here and I look forward to the next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of class. Center. If you like the show and would like to stay connected, consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate any support for our show and ask that if you liked the episode, consider leaving us a positive review and sharing it with a friend. A huge thank you to the Memoria Press Podcast Network for hosting our show. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts there. As always, I'm Shane Saxon. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit memoriapress.com. To connect with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.